It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Welcome, everyone, to Rock'em Nation Podcast. Uh, this is a brand new episode of Dive Cuts. We are on Season 6, Episode 18. And here to talk all about your Missouri Tigers and their basketball program, I am your host, Sam Snelling, back from across the pond. Uh, left Portugal behind me. Couldn't wait to get back and, and talk about these Missouri Tigers with me uh, from the plains of Indiana, Matthew J. Harris. Matt, how are you? It's a great day, Sam. It's a glorious day. One we've waited a long time to see arrive. And you know, when I saw the news this morning, just a warm glow. And then to see that beautiful block in. All is well. All is well. Just my heart is full today. Well, speaking of full hearts, <laughs> I was going to pivot right away from that. <laughs> so Matt is the Jersey uh, enthusiast, I think I would, I would, I would say. Is that fair? Is that fair to call you a Jersey enthusiast, a uniform uh, person, somebody who, um, jokingly or not, uh, talks about this a lot. Particularly when it when it comes to throwbacks, you're really into the throwbacks, and I just I, I I kind of feel like my my take is generally like there's a reason why uh, that that era of fashion has uh, has since left us, and particularly the uh, uh, you know the 80s and 90s were not a great time for fashion. 
I do think the shorts are nice. I never really cared either way about the Block M. And I will say, as I said on the Slack channel, um, I think these uniforms look a little weird. Uh, yeah, and, and it's yeah. Be- it's because the offset numbers of the old jersey are not allowed anymore. Like you can't have numbers offset; they have yeah, to be the, centered. This is this is weird, but the cut of the numerals is a little weird. Like that, they're not like the balance of the actual, the weight of the actual numerals. In college, I majored in newspaper design, so like this is a, <laughs> it feeds into this. Like I care about serifs and font weights. The numbers are jank. The numbers are jank. They got the absolute top part of the jersey right, but the numbers are jank. And they look a little different because they're off-center. Because they've been centered up because that's the new NCAA policy. You have to do it that way. My thing is, I think the, the from like 1994 to 1999, yeah, we need to burn all those jerseys. Burn them all. You know, they're all terrible. There were mistakes that were made. I don't lionize those. I think the reason why the block M is, is something that I've always been attached to is I think just because there's a simple elegance to it. You know, they've never, they never overcomplicated it. It was, you know, it had the right balance of like colors and weights and everything to it. And, you know, I don't know why it was scrapped other than it was the mid nineties and everyone was scrapping their uniforms. So we did, that's what we did. And then that led to a weird period of like old golds and the golden rod and whatever. Yeah. They couldn't, the re- they couldn't pick a gold. Yeah, and so I think that was my thing. Like when they did the rebrand a decade ago, they picked a gold and they, and they went with it and I was fine with that. And it happened to overlap with the throwbacks and look, I don't think they need to bring them back, you know, every game if they don't want to, to me, the reason why they were such a big deal and they remain a big deal is, it felt like, you know, it was something that, you know, links, you know, fans together. That's the most successful period of the program. A lot of folks remember them, you know, they have an association with them. And I think to a large extent, you know, so much of what we do now is we do all these new uniforms now. We change them all now because one, either recruits love them or two, you can just sell them. I think a lot of schools got into the Oregon trend of thinking, well, if we just continuously update our uniforms, it's going to be great. And I, I think to a certain extent, what the block games represent is one, it was from the most successful period of the program's history Two, it was consistent in its look, you know, across manufacturers, even, you know, sort of now it's still mostly consistent. And three, it, you know, I, I think it's something that, you know, if, if I look at it, I recognize Javon Crudup and Melvin Booker. If my dad looks at it, it's Steve Stepanovich, you know, and if there are even folks that, you know, are a little bit younger that, you know, probably in the late nineties, were just getting into Missouri basketball, you know, they might recognize the Haley twins or Daniel Lush. It there's, there's something there that, you know, is generational about it that each person can latch onto and to get rid of that and to sort of deny that even for a little bit, you know, felt a little weird to me. And it felt like they had to kind of do it because when they rolled out the rebrand, and they wanted to use the tiger head a lot there. They've, you know, continuously talked about how the block game is confused with Michigan. Part of me thinks that's just always been covered because Missouri makes a crap load of money in licensing fees from high schools that use the tiger head. Yeah. And the template, 
that Missouri wore for football uniforms was also one of the most popular high school templates. So they needed a reason to keep rolling that out there and getting <laughs> licensing money. So they just put this slander out that the block in was confused with Michigan. So it always felt like Missouri just shelved it's something. fine at the end of the football field. Uh, right. It's so fine it's, out there. <laughs> it always just felt like it was this thing that fans recognized that had history that united people. And they shelved it because they just needed an excuse to hawk something with a crappy looking tiger head. So it, it's been like a little bit of a history thing, a little bit of a nostalgia thing. And also just, you know, if you're going to like do crass commercialism, sell something that people love and remember. And this is it. Like this thing's going bonkers. Like every, when I tweeted out the link to like the fanatic site, it's had a thousand likes and retweets. People are like getting it as soon as possible. Like, it just seems silly. They waited so long to sell it because <laughs> people wanted it and they bought it and it, they're flying off the rack. So yeah. good day, happy day, and glad they're bringing it back against Iowa State. So we can move on now. It's done. It's over. I would just say, yeah, I would just say as a, as a somebody, I don't really consider myself a Jersey enthusiast, nor even uh, a, a big nostalgia person. Um, what I, what I do like is I like simplicity. And uh, I think the best uniforms, the best, uh, you know, jerseys, uh, all those have always been like the simplest, the cleanest design. Um, and it's one of the reasons why, like, I think the new uniforms are nearly perfect if it wasn't for like the weird, you know, flame tiger stripe, whatever they want to call it on the yeah, shorts. Get- like, I like I think they'd be they'd be perfect. They're oh, phenomenal. Yeah. They're, they're they're so up. simple and clean. Like, that's exactly what you want. Um, you know, like why, you know, why is like, you know, I, I'd hate to give any sort of praise to our, our, uh, our rivals to the West, but, uh, you know, like one of the things that makes, you know, Kansas such an iconic brand is I, I've always thought like blue and red always look great, uh, in uniforms. And like, as I grew up with Cardinals, like, you know, Cardinals uniforms look great. Dodger uniforms look great. Um. And so, like, you know, you look at, like, KU, you look at Kentucky, you look at Duke, um, you know, all uh, North Carolina is a different color blue, but, you know, all very crisp, clean, classic-looking uniforms, and, and and they stand the test of time. And I think, like, one of the things that that Missouri almost got right in the, the last iteration was was something that was a little bit of a timeless look that no matter what the era would, would be, like, you could shrink the shorts or grow the shorts and they would still kind of fit into that era. So the new ones are um, about perfect. I mean, they, they have the right template that looks like the old, but it has the new kind of branded font on them. They're like 90% of the way there. Just get yeah, the, they just, just get, need to yeah, lose, lose the flames in the shorts. Yep. And then, <laughs> then, then they'll be awesome. They'll be absolutely awesome. Like I, so that's the thing. Like, I, I think that's what I like about what they've done here is they can, you know, I would I wouldn't wear these. You know, I think the Illinois flying Illini set they wear them all the time, and that's cool. That works for them. Tennessee has basically gone to its throwbacks as its full time ones. I don't mind if Missouri sits on these and it only breaks them out for, you know, like this game on Saturday, or if it only breaks it out for Border War or Bragging Rights. Like, bring the throwbacks out for the for the game for the big ones, and then you know wear the other set the other time. So I just think it's nice that they've incorporated that into the mix that it's something that you know when there's something that you know the entire fan base recognizes as you know having a lineage having history they can do a nod to it 
So it's it's nice that those are in the mix now. Well, Matt's dreams have come true. We just spent 10 minutes talking about uniforms. Uh, so let's actually talk about <laughs> what happens on the court, not what they look like on the court. We have to um, talk about the defense. <laughs> <laughs> so I I left the country and uh and Missouri hit the road, lost a couple games. Uh you and um and Matt Watkins talked about it. Uh you also talked about Arkansas because you recorded after that Arkansas game. Mm-hmm. Um which is one of the reasons why we waited until uh tonight to record. So it's Wednesday, January twenty fifth. Uh Mizzou just got off the road. They they Ole Miss to the woodshed um, by making lots more three-pointers than Ole Miss was capable of making, uh, which came on the back of a game on Saturday, Matt, where they made basically no three-pointers. So it was a nice sort of flipping of the script there. Um, Overall, Alabama came in, and I, I said this much in study hall, but I thought Missouri really played well. Yeah, yeah. And I thought they played well enough to be in that game or even possibly win that game, but they shot so poorly it did not matter. <laughs> so uh three of twenty-eight is just impossible to overcome. I don't care who your opponent is, you're not gonna beat very many teams. You know, maybe you could beat a you know sub three hundred team if you're shooting that poorly. Uh, but you're certainly not gonna beat a team who is third in Kempom. No, no, I I enjoyed watching the Alabama game more than I enjoyed watching the Ole Miss game as an entire body of work because I thought, for one, the uh, the offensive game plan against Bama I thought was really good. I wrote about it earlier in the week and really just sort of how Missouri adapted to its you know issue shooting, I think, by playing some more five out and some more spread ball screen stuff. And I think that really, really helped you know, get – guys touches in spots where, where they want them and i thought it, you know it was a nice sort of you know whether that was in the scouting report and a just you know a clear pivot that only the staff knows but i thought overall the offensive game plan had a really really nice coherence to it and defensively i thought you know there that was probably one of their best defensive games that missouri played of the season until they had to start pressing about four minutes into the second half to try and force turnovers to try and get the margin down. But for about 24 minutes, I thought they were good defensively. In transition defense, they were good. I thought they were really, really tight in rotation and getting out to shooters. You know, they were crashing down. Bama was still getting on the glass, but you saw guys getting into spots, contesting, and really making an effort there. They just couldn't make a shot. They just could not, you know, get something to drop and, I wasn't able to watch. I was at a family event, so I couldn't see it live. But on the rewatch, like that seven-minute run where Bama extends it, that that's a long time for Bama to have to open up a gap. I think Missouri had, what, four or five good quality catch-and-shoots yeah. in that stretch that just I think two or three of them rattled out. Like even if, you know, that doesn't completely, you know, result in a comeback, at least it's – you know, stops the run and they just couldn't even get a shot to drop to sort of reset and pause. And after that, the margin got to 16 and then they have to start trapping and, you know, the back end of the press has always been a bit leaky, but I thought for the most part for about 24, 25 minutes, they looked good and they looked engaged. And that was more than what I thought I saw last night. 
at least on one end of the floor. Well, right. And I think like that's my main takeaway is, you know, it's, it's just frustrating when you when you watch uh, a team and, and, you know, like if you're not paying attention and you're not watching the game, you know, a lot of people are going to look at the score and be like, oh, man, like Alabama really put the hurt on Mizzou, Mizzou like you know, Mizzou's showing their ass again or something like that. And, uh, you know, in, in reality, like, that was a game that was probably more likely to finish within the margin if Missouri just makes shots. Shoots, like, yeah, like, if they just shoot, even have, like, a, a below, slightly below average night, like, hit 25% of their shots. Like, yeah, it's just like, let's let's get this margin back to where it's probably more respectable. Um, and so it's it's hard to to see the game kind of unfold like that, and I realize like it's impossible to say that you know like if Missouri shot thirty five percent from from three point range instead of you know the six percent or whatever I for, even forget what it was ten point three ten point three percent that uh. That you know, like it, it's obviously going to change the way the the game flows. It's going to put different you know game pressure and different yeah. uh, scenarios, so you don't know how teams are going to react to that. You know, it's entirely possible that something like triggers within Alabama and they hit a few ridiculous shots and and get you know the lead back to twenty anyway. Um, you know, but I think you know more than anything else, like Missouri was playing well enough and forcing Alabama to take some some tougher shots. Yeah, and they made some of them. Like you know, Javon Quinterly hit two or three shots. Yeah. You're just like, are you, are you are you kidding me? Um, but I still think like when you're looking at the overall body of work of of how they played, that was that was one of the the games that they played the the best so far this year. They just could not get a shot to fall. Yeah, Bama you know, put it out there for them and Missouri just couldn't find a way to apply the game pressure to, to get over the hump there. I look, I vented last night enough via social media about the defense, but last night was probably one of the three or four worst defensive outings of the year. Like just, even if you were to, and I know people are going to say, you know, it doesn't matter. They got to win. And, you know, it, the guys look like the shooting slumps over and, you know, maybe Modi is looking good. It doesn't matter, you know, that you would think that a team that's going to be able to go in without its leading scorer in Matt Morrell, and you think you'd at least be able to hold them to something approximating Bama, and this group couldn't do it. And I think the one thing that sort of, you know, gets frustrating about this group is I know they're not going to be a top 100 unit defensively, but there are still times where you just see blown switches, late rotations, like it's game 20 and there's just stuff that happens. It's not because somebody else is running great scheme or because somebody's really figured out or nailed the scout on Missouri. It's just that last little bit of engagement's probably not there. And, you know, in a game that probably should have been 15, 20 points for the margin, which, if you're Missouri, that helps you on your team sheet with your predictive metrics and probably maybe gets you another spot or two. There's a consequence to that. And like, I, it's not going to put them out of the tournament today. It's not going to have them on the cut line, but I think it just speaks to you want to see a team 
with a level of engagement that sort of matches a little bit of the circumstances they're in. And it felt like last night there was just some sleepwalking from them on the defensive end of the floor. And we're going to overlook that because the shooting was absolutely bonkers. But, you know, I think Watkins and I were about ready to drive you nuts in the Slack channel because we, we were displeased about the defensive end of the floor. Well, you know, I also, I, I think some of that is, uh, so uh, there, I think there are just certain things that you can't, um, you can't really measure. Um, and like, I've always sort of felt that when one team starts making shots at a ridiculous rate, it puts pressure on the other team to kind of do the same. And I feel like when the other team has the pressure and that team is the home team, more likely than not, they're going to start making a few more shots. Um, Ole Miss, I think, is a team that we've always sort of felt is capable. Um, They certainly, uh, (laughs) I mean, they... Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. They certainly have have sort of gone by the wayside this year at times. Um, You know, but I think they're a talented team. I do agree with you guys that there were a lot of defensive breakdowns. You know, with that said, I, I still think that Ole Miss stepped up and made the shots that they had to make. Um, you know, the, the rebounding is, is always, you know, we know that's going to be a problem as well. And there's so many things that you can try to do to, to sort of mitigate, you know, the, you know, the pain of getting crushed in the offensive class. Um, but one of the things that I think you were probably expecting is, is Ole Miss to probably shoot a little poorer because you had guys who are not good shooters taking shots um a, a few more shots than they maybe would have otherwise because you know Matthew Morell was was not playing the game yeah. those were you know he's a guy who's probably going to take you know 10 12 14 shots a game uh and he's a guy that's capable of making those shots you know but you don't really expect uh you know like Ty Fagan um to to step up you don't really expect uh you know even Dacian Ruffin um to be that guy either and and they they made it they made enough shots to make things interesting, but I I never really got like I never really had the impression that Missouri was under any threat because no like no. They, they just seemed to really have 
Like at some point they, they just looked confident enough that they knew that if they needed to score, they were going to score. I think it's more of an opera, you know, closing, not letting a team, you know, come back and win, but really just putting a team down efficiently. I think is probably, yeah, it, it, it should have probably been like a 18 to 20 point win. Uh, rather than a you know a twelve point win where you just never quite got the yeah uh, the se- separation when they should have they should have gotten the separation if they had cleaned up a few other things, um so like I agree with like the over the overall you know point that you guys are making I I also think that at some point like, we do have to give Ole Miss some credit for right you know they they did make some shots they did attack the glass they did you know they 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 played with effort which um. One thing I think <laughs> you and I have been critical of of Kermit is you know the the ability of like some of his Ole Miss teams like once things kind of go wrong to just sort of go away and uh, I think they did that last year when Missouri came in there um, you know and and he still burned and, a lot of his timeouts pretty quick last night yeah like it's it's so it's it's funny because like. I I felt like Ole Miss at least played with more effort uh, throughout the entire game than they did last year when you know they were going up against an like not even arguably a much worse uh, Missouri club. Um, So I don't know. I I guess maybe the good news here is is that the uh, the the Ole Miss uh, monkey is is kind of off the Tigers' back. It's like that's been like one of the reasons that the program overall has not been able to kind of. Uh, even get up into the middle of the conference is because they just haven't been able to beat Ole Miss. And now they beat them three times last year. So this is four in a row. Yep. Four in a row now. The, so, yeah. It, and look, there's something to be said for at the end of the day. You had to go on the road. You had to avoid a quad to be a loss. And you did that. And the margin, even though I think it should have been wider, was enough to basically clean up enough of the distance or enough of the you know mess from Alabama that it got Missouri back into the upper 40s of the net ratings. And again, net rating is not correlative exactly with getting in. There's not like a point where the NCAA selection committee says, at spot 45, we cut off consideration. But I think for the bigger deal is Missouri's at least kept itself in that range where if it gets a win this weekend, they'll probably move into the upper you know 30s They'll have a decent enough, you know, quad one and two section that you can start to maybe think less about is this team going to wind up on the cut line and start thinking about as February gets here, can they improve their seating? So you a loss at Ole Miss changes the nature of the conversation, definitely creates a lot more stress, means you got to find a win somewhere else. They avoided that. So I can still be frustrated about the defense and where it is. Macro, they, you know, they kept the car on the road, which which is important. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't think uh, at some point they're going to need to figure out how to sort of take the defensive effort that we were kind of seeing in the Alabama game and that we've seen at times from them uh, and have that extend, uh, you know, to when they're playing lesser opponents. Because I, I think even like in early in the non-con, there were a lot of periods where, Pin. you know, defen- like, like, yeah, the defensive lapses would just sort of, you know, just not like be a lot of like effort stuff and uh, and focus stuff and things that you you Control. should be better at um 
you know, versus just being like overwhelmed by like, you know, Brandon Miller and Javon Quinterly and guys like that. Uh, you know, like Ole Miss didn't really have anybody like that. And there were still um there were still a lot of, you know, very clear breakdowns where, you know, you're you're either leaving a guy open or you're you're missing an assignment and um and as you kind of move into what I would sort of consider a little bit of a softer, uh, you know, part of the schedule, uh, you know, clearly this Saturday is going to be going to be tough with Iowa State coming in, um, you know, but kind of running through, a you know, a gauntlet of teams that are that are all very likely to, you know, to be in the NCAA tournament and going five and five through those games. Uh, now you turn to like this Ole Miss game, you have Iowa State. Uh, Next week, you have LSU and Mississippi State, uh, and then you get South Carolina before having to go on the road to Tennessee. So there's like, there's four games, uh, and we're going to talk about Iowa State here in a second, where all the all these games are winnable. You get Iowa State at home. Um, I think that the margin, like the difference between... Uh, you know, a team like Iowa State and a team like Missouri is not that great. Kempom has this as a loss, a two-point loss. Um, it, so that's toss-up range. Yeah. You, you need to beat LSU after that. Uh, then you have to go to Starkville. It's always difficult to win in Starkville, but, you know, Mississippi State can't score. And South Carolina, like, you have to win that game. It's a home game against South Carolina. They're terrible. Uh, they just lost by, I don't even know how much they lost by tonight. I they let's lost. Find, let's find out. Eighty-one sixty. Oh, yeah. they closed the gap. <laughs> but Texas A&M, yeah, was, forty-one point loss, twelve point loss, fifteen point loss, twenty-one point loss. It since Kentucky was not a harbinger of things to come for Lamont Paris. That they're flagging. They are absolutely flagging, and you cannot trip up on that. So, yeah, and Mississippi State. Uh, has now lost seven of what, eight. Seven of eight games. Their one win came uh, at home against Ole Miss, um, where Ole Miss only scored fifty-four points. Um, this is a team that they they struggle to hit sixty points. Um, now it is Missouri, and Missouri doesn't like to defend. They don't like to rebound. Uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna guess Mississippi State. Is probably going to hit sixty. Um, but you know, the question is, like, what kind of offense is Missouri able to go? Because you know, this is a good defense. Uh, they're they're twelfth in defense, defensive efficiency. Um, you know, their their problem is is they can guard, they can slow the game down. Uh, they're three hundred twenty sixth in adjusted tempo, but they cannot put the ball in the basket. So you got to win three out of four here. Uh, it- that that's just the reality here. You're getting a team that's lost four in a row in South Carolina. That's just getting hammered. You know, you look at Georgia. You know, you know, gotta you know beat this team. Auburn, you know, Tennessee. These teams have, you know, managed to win kind of comfortably. If you're an NCAA tournament team, this is a game you win. It's, uh, you know, I, I try and have nuance and try and you know understand situations but if you are an ncaa tournament team at the end of the day you got to win three out of these four games just to make sure the resume looks right here because missouri doesn't have enough in its quad three basket 
to go out and drop a quad two a or even a quad three game. There's just not a lot there on the predictive metric side to to prop that up. So because you played a weaker non-con slate, and again, Missouri did that because that's what most teams in their position do. But it takes away a little bit of that margin for error in the SOS side of things. So you, you know, if you had played a schedule maybe closer to what Arkansas did, if you go on the road and lose to Mississippi State, okay, fine. But the overall underlying metrics are going to look good. Now that buffer is a little bit harder to find, or it's a little bit thinner. So to me, if you are a team that's looking to focus more on where your seed line is going to be and less on are you going to even be in the field, you have to get a win probably at Mississippi State to to stay on course for that. But the Iowa State game is one that's a resume enhancer, and I think this is a, a good opportunity for Missouri to add some insurance, particularly as we get ready to go into the final month of the regular season. Yeah, so I think, you know, we said next four, you kind of need to go three and one. Uh, so you really need to get either at Mississippi State or you need to beat Iowa State at home. I personally, Matt, would love it if they would just go four and zero. Like that would, uh, I think that would probably put them in position to feel pretty good about their their place. Yeah. Uh, in the NCAA tournament, that would give them uh, a, a a big win that is going to um, hold value. That's going to carry be- because of how the Big Twelve works. Um, you know, the, we were kind of talking beforehand. Uh, it is my belief that. Uh, that there really aren't any good teams. Um, I mean, good being maybe not the right word there. Dominant. There are no great. There are no great teams. Um, there are a lot of good teams. Iowa State is a good team. Um, Missouri is a good-ish team. I think that's fair. Um, capable of being good. Uh, also capable of of looking bad at times. Um, but Iowa State is not not like the next coming of uh, a dominant big 12 force that's looking like a final four team. They just, they look like a, a good team. that's going to win a lot of games because they can defend and, uh, and, and kind of take things away in, in the half court. Uh, but they've got a lot of weaknesses too. And, and, you know, they also like a lot of teams struggle to score the ball, um, which is one thing that Missouri does not really struggle to do. Uh, obviously with, when the threes aren't falling, it makes things more difficult. But I don't think they need to shoot 50% from three to, to, to be a, a good team. I just think they need to have a competitive level of shooting to, to kind of be that team. Um, you know, if, if they hit 35 to 38%, like I think this is a team that can beat most of the teams left on their schedule. Um, and that includes Tennessee, who, if you <laughs> apparently, if you shoot, uh, I guess a, a, above 22% or something like that against Tennessee, you're really an outlier um, from three, that is. Yeah. Now, the, I think what Iowa State's done, and this is probably the best descriptor I can have, uh, maximum competence. They are a team that I think understands, you know, what they need to do every single night and just sort of, execute to the scout. They're very proficient. They're workmanlike. All those kinds of synonyms or, you know, you know, descriptors of what they are. They are a team that is average in the half court offensively. I, you know, there may be Iowa State fans that listen, I'm sorry. 
your personnel in the half court is at least in terms of what you look in synergy and if you watch on tape they're an average group in the half court they are a team that's going to run long possessions against you and they're going to work you and they're going to hopefully you know be able to grind you down and they're going to be able to find you know Gabe Kalsher attacking off a spot up maybe they're going to get a you know the ball kick to Caleb Grill for a shot maybe as soon as soon he's going to get a early post up or he's going to get a late dump off and then in the middle there Tame and Lipsy and Jaron Holmes are kind of slightly below average you know if you've got to play in traffic what this team needs is transition which sounds weird for a team that's 307th in tempo but they're number one enforcing turnovers in the they're number one nationally enforcing live ball turnovers and what that does for them is it lets Holmes and Lipsy get out and run and that's where they're really efficient so what this team does is they're going to sit down, they're going to try and you know force you to bleed possessions, capitalize off them, and they're going to grind clock. And they're going to hopefully be able to make the half court work for them. That said, you can get at this team in a number of different ways. We can talk about that. But if you watch them, if they can't force live ball turnovers, things get a little bit dicey for this team. If they can't and you have to play at a little bit faster clip, they get opened up a little bit because they're not very deep. They 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 only have three guards that really play. One of their bigs is hurt. So they're really only seven deep. So there's I'll be optimistic yeah, off was, the top and say I was watching the the Kansas State game and even uh even Grill um is dealing with a back injury. So he plays, but uh he's still banged up. Yeah. So there's a very specific set of circumstances that I think Iowa State needs. And Missouri Setting aside its defensive issues, which can be, you know, we've we've talked about, and rebounding, which Iowa State does a good job getting on the offensive glass. There's just something where I think Missouri stylistic, you know, preferences can really cause a problem for, for this Iowa State team. And they are having to come into a building that's going to be sold out and it's going to be hyped up for it. So you can give me your thoughts, but I really think that there's you know, once you dig in and you watch the tape and you look at the numbers, there's an opportunity here. I think that Missouri can really take advantage of on Saturday. Well, yeah, I mean, you were kind of expressing a rare bit of, of optimism. Um, and, in Slack days, you're kind of looking at the numbers and I, you know, I, I agree with this, but I don't know. I'm always kind of the more positive of, of the two of us. I think, you know, for, for Missouri, it, they, they do things that, Iowa State doesn't do so or, or doesn't deal with uh very well. If if Missouri is not turning the ball over, like and they're 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 getting shots, uh, and they're at home and, and those shots are falling, I you know, it's gonna be difficult for for Iowa State to generate the kind of offense that they need to uh to sort of stay on top of, of the Tigers. Uh, if you're looking at you know, for me, the, the key is always going to be, you know, what is Demoy Hodge doing? If Demoy Hodge is, is making shots, you know, his ability to find the ball quickly and get shots up quickly, um, put a lot of pressure on on the defense and 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 particularly the you know the the defense in in transition. Um, I think because Isaiah Mosley is back and his ability to be um, to be efficient in uh, that sort of, you know, primary creator role, but but in the half court uh, can can be helpful. And then you take 
uh, you know, Kobe Brown, and and if he's making shots from the outside, he's so difficult to guard. These are all things that uh, you have to think that if Missouri is is sort of making outside shots at the regular rate, then you're probably looking at what like eighty eighty five points. And do we think Iowa State can can score? Um, you know, eighty five ninety. Like it, I think that's probably what they're going to have to do in order to to beat Missouri because I just had this feeling that whatever issues they were having, um, you know, with, with their offense, it, it felt like there was a little bit of a coming out against Ole Miss. And at least I'm, I'm hoping that's the case. The games I watch, I watched a little bit of them against UNC. Watched part of the Iowa game, went back and rewatched part of that today, and then watched most of the Kansas State game. This team can be you can get at Iowa State in transition, particularly the way Missouri wants to, which is push, get wide wing runners, run to the corner, and really hunt early corner threes. Missouri's really good at that. Demoy Hodge is exceptionally good at that. Leaking out to that, you know, he can either get to the rim or he can run to the spot. That's something they do. But the other thing that Iowa did was they stayed out of the the side of the floor because what Iowa State wants to do is play no middle. They want to downside ball screens. They want to trap it. They want to keep everything on one side of the floor. They want to load help up. They want to have Osu Nishuni, who's a really good rim protector, on the backside and make you play through that. Iowa did a great job. If they didn't have anything in the first five seconds of reversing the ball out, getting into a middle ball screen, having a two side and a one side, and just playing out of it and saying, can your guys handle us in the middle of the floor? Can you rotate? Do you have the guys that can get help, stunt, recover? Do you have the guys that can handle our off-ball stuff? If you can't down us, can you handle us in the middle third? And there were long stretches where Iowa State couldn't do that. Missouri will play a little bit on the side. They'll play in the pinch post. They'll play you know, kind of in the slot a little bit. But what they did against Arkansas for stretches was they went five-out spacing, they ran middle ball screens, and they just hunted. And Arkansas had way more length and athleticism, I think, than what Iowa State has at spots one to four. So if you can play fast, if you can get into those middle third spots, if your point series where you're entering the ball to a big at the top of the key is moving quickly, I think you can get at this group. If they can't down that side ball screen and they can't get the turnover or deflection off of it, I think it's going to be really hard for Iowa State to manufacture enough transition or at least bleed Missouri out for that. So that's one thing I'm watching is how is Missouri going to try and attack the no middle? How are they going to work in the middle third? But Missouri's shown they can do that. So to me, that's going to be really fascinating how they scout that out. But we'll see. But this is a game where I look at it and I watch the tape and I look at the numbers and I feel like there's an opportunity there for them to pick up a quad one win at home. And I just think that they've played outside of the Kansas game. They've started well at home. They've managed to find some ways to get off to good starts. So we'll see what they do. But there's like I keep saying, there's some modest optimism on my part, what they might be able to do on Saturday. Yeah, I'm. I mean, I'm right there with you. I, I'm by no means trying to say that this is a going to be a, a game where Missouri is going to run away from it. Um, you know, any any game, any contest has that capability. But I, I think if we're talking about more likely range of outcomes. Uh, I think this is a game where you know Missouri's offense is is going to be able to do enough to to win the game. Um, that's my myopic. Uh, hopeful 
outcome. Um, after that, are, are we re- are we going to record before the LSU game and get back to Monday nights? We can get back um, to Monday nights if you want. I don't know what the football we, guys are doing. I well, they recorded this week, so I think they're. Uh, um, I I think BK is is in uh, Disney World actually. Um, but uh, oh, yeah, Nate, Nate, Nate and Josh, <laughs> Nate and Josh recorded last night, and then uh, yeah, so they'll take next week off, so we can go back to Monday, so we can kind of do the full preview of LSU and Mississippi State. What a thrilling week of SEC basketball that that'll be. Um, LSU Tigers who are sinking like a rock. Um, they are losers of their last seven games after opening up and beating Arkansas in the the SEC opener. Uh, they have since beaten nobody, including a forty point loss to Alabama, twenty two point loss to Auburn. 21-point loss to Tennessee, 20-point loss to Arkansas. Sheesh. It's Things, it's, things are not good in Baton Rouge. Oh, red stick. I, what, Justice Hill left the team, too, I think. So that's always a sign of that things are going well. When you're the point guard you brought in to run the team says deuces after 17 games. So, yeah, it's... But that's the thing about... And it's been interesting to watch sort of the first year coaches play out in this league. You know, I think Todd Golden's been about what I thought he'd be at Florida. I I thought, you know, things had gone about as poorly as they were going to go for Lamont Paris just because of the roster in South Carolina. I think Mike White's done about what I expected him to do, which he's got Georgia at, you know, approaching something like competency. Uh but I did not see Matt McMahon, you know, being one and seven. I thought they might you know, slip a little bit down near 10th or 11th, but I did not see just this kind of free fall coming uh, from him in year one, especially with the, the pieces well, he brought over, who I thought would give him some continuity. Well, and I, I will say, like, they have had just a brutal, brutal entry into yeah. league play. So it was Arkansas, Kentucky, Texas A&M, Florida, Alabama, Auburn, Tennessee, Arkansas again. Um. That's, that's I mean that's a really really tough Birmingham didn't do any favors. Eight, yeah, eight eight game stretch. Uh all top 50 games. Well, you know, with with that said, like okay, if you're playing close, like it's all right, not a big deal. Um and they were so they they beat Arkansas, they were close against Kentucky. Uh the rope slipped a little bit in a road game uh, at A&M. It was a little, but pretty much the same for a home game against Florida, and then like Alabama, just just beat the brakes on. on, beat the brakes on, and, and it, it's it's been spinning wheels since then. So, uh, it, we'll see. They've got uh, Texas Tech, who is also struggling. They're the they're the worst team in the Big Twelve. Um, they would. What would they be uh, in the SEC? They would second. Yeah, they'd probably be seventh or eighth, I think, in the SEC right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, so about the same, just less teams. <laughs> so yeah, there's uh they they'd be ahead of Vandy, Georgia, South, South Carolina, Carolina, Ole Miss, Miss, LSU. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. So that that'll be a a, a game where I guess you kind of hope LSU can kind of get something going. Um, but not enough to maybe beat Missouri. Because <laughs> uh, yeah, this the the rest of the schedule for the Tigers is one where like there's a lot of opportunities for wins. Um, once you get clear not, of Auburn, it's there's a chance to start padding a little bit. Yeah, so Tennessee at Tennessee at Auburn uh, is 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 tough, but I mean it's all the Mississippi's. Uh, so you got three games against Mississippi schools. You got a home game against Texas A and M. Uh, road games at LSU and Georgia. Home game against uh, against LSU and South Carolina. Um, I did, that's all basically the bottom of the conference except for Texas A and M. Uh, which is a home game. So they, they hopefully might... you can get some revenge on the Aggies. Yeah, you'd like to you'd like to maybe you'd like to flip that Mississippi State game that keep that at Texas A&M game in there because the Aggies keep playing pretty well. That could grow into a quad one one quad one pickup or at least a, a high quad two opportunity for them. So that's one that I've got circled there where you maybe feel like if you can get that one, that'll just be some nice little extra buffer to put in place here, but they're trying to look at, we thought there'd be what 10 or 11 games here. They're, they have a chance to go what six and five in those 10 or 11 games. So it's about the best outcome you could have hoped for in this stretch. Uh, now well, we'll, we'll give you a, a live update after uh, two very non-competitive games uh, to start the Wednesday slate, uh, Tennessee beat the pants off Georgia Florida beat the pants off South Carolina, Texas A&M, Matt uh, is up 15 in Auburn, and Mississippi State is up seven at Alabama. Cool. So, look, I mean, Texas A&M buzz continues to ruin the SEC by being crap in the non-conference part of his schedule. Uh, he never plays anybody all that difficult in the non-conference part of the schedule, and then they get to conference play, and everything's figured out, and they're really good. Um. I sort of like it because it means every March they're having to whine and complain about why they're not getting in. And you want to go non-conference also matters. <laughs> like you have to, you have to beat somebody first. Like I, I had yeah. no sympathy when they got left out last year. None. Do something in non-conference. Don't, don't get housed by Colorado. I don't know. All the games yeah, count. They all count. <laughs> So the their best non-conference win was DePaul 136. Play somebody. They have two sub 150 losses. They lost to Murray State 177, Wofford 203. What I don't get here is it's like year 4 for Buzz. He doesn't need the number 234 non-con. You brought everybody back from an NIT finalist. Go play some real games. Yeah. No sympathy if they get left out. None. Schedule better. Well, they're 5-1 and one if they beat Auburn. Uh, they'll go to 6-1. and one. They have a home game against Vandy up after that. Um, they go 14-4 and four in this league. Put them in. They will have earned it. <laughs> but if they're, if they like finish... 10 and 8 or 9 and 9 and they're on the cut line 
I don't want to hear Buzz Williams or SEC officials sobbing about being left out. Don't want to hear it. Like, Missouri has an excuse. It was year one. They scheduled soft in year one. Everyone does that. It's year four for Buzz. Put together a real non-con. Yeah, I I would say, like, if Dennis Gates is playing a lineup of Mississippi Valley State, SIUE, Coastal Carolina, Houston Christian, SEMO, Southern Indiana, and Penn in year four, I'm going to be writing angry letters to the editor. So so you're you're still going to be hurt from what Mike Anderson did all those years ago. Yeah. Yeah. But well, and and realistically, like we we even before the season we were hard on 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 Gates and their scheduling cuz I just like I thought you could be a little tougher. Like they were they basically scheduled like like nine gimmies and it's just like the ramp up I was mean, a bit too quick. <laughs> like yeah, like okay, maybe I understand like like five or six maybe gimmies. Um, but you want to have something in there that's going to challenge you a little bit. Um, and yeah, it, it, so we wrote about that and and we we crushed them. And I wrote about Texas A and M, you know, before the season and said the same thing about his non conference schedule. Like, you want to complain about getting left out, Buzz. This is your program, man. You write the schedule. Like it's not being made for you. Go go play somebody tougher. Instead of just taking advantage on a crap year in the SEC. All right, we've ended, we've managed to overshoot the mark now. We're at fifty minutes. <laughs> okay, it's we time t- to wrap up. It's time to wrap up. So yeah, so we'll be back. Uh we'll just do this again on Monday. And um and, and all that. So thank you everybody for tuning in. Uh, make sure that you are subscribed to the podcast feed wherever you download and listen to your podcast, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google, the Google Play Store. A little out of practice here. Uh, if you are subscribed, you'll also get episodes before the box score beam directly to your phone. Uh, everything's also available on Spotify. Uh, we get it up on, on the Spotify listens if you, you can listen there. Um, head over to RockMation.com. And read everything there. Matt uh, had a really nice piece on the five-out offense, ball screens, all that kind of stuff. Um, I made it almost halfway through before uh, getting sidetracked with actual work. Still getting caught up in that side of things. Uh, head over to Twitter. You can follow Matt at MattJHarris85. You can follow me at Sam P. Snelling. Uh, our good friend Matt Watkins. You can follow him at Data Mizzou. Uh, and we'll be back in less than a week with more dive cuts. Until then, thanks for tuning in. <laughs>